Hello, everyone, and welcome to Have Yourself a Listen Closely Christmas, the very special Christmas edition of your favorite new podcast of 2020, Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am John, uh, one of your two co-hosts of this mesmerizing and exciting new podcast, and we thought that we would do something really fun and clever for Christmas. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my uh, co-host as always, Chris Kringle himself out on the West Coast. Hello, Christopher. Hello, John. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, are, are you ready for Christmas? I am. I'm, you know, it's a, obviously it's a very different Christmas this year, and um, I'm not going to be making it home. I think this is the first time I will not be home for Christmas, which is sad, but you know, we've discussed before, there's, there's something about being alone on Christmas that's uh, kind of cool and powerful in a sad way. I mean, I, I would like to be alone most holidays, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I, I find it much easier, much more enjoyable. I wouldn't stay home by myself, but I would like go to a Chinese restaurant or something. Um, you know, I think the Jewish people really have the right idea on Christmas <laughs> by going to the movies or going skiing and, and getting Chinese food. I think they're on to something, I tell you. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I look, I love Christmas. <laughs> I think you do too deep down. I, uh, I do. I it's do. probably my favorite holiday and, you know, I'm going to make the best of it this year. That's all you can do. And, you know, as you always say on this podcast, Chris, uh, you and I have been friends for 36 years. And it got me thinking as we were prepping for this very special episode of Listen Closely with John and Chris, that um, this December celebrates a, a watershed moment in the history of our friendship. It has been 35 years since we both appeared in the acclaimed elementary school production of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol in December of 1985 together. Do you remember this? I, I, how could you forget? Of course, yeah. That was. I played uh, the ghost of Christmas present, but you, Chris, you had a star turn. Uh, why, don't, why don't you tell the audience about your your starring role in this uh, in this production? I had the sort of role that you know when they're doing the credits at the beginning, it's it's the and, you know, featuring uh, and Chris Charmello as boy with turkey. Yeah, that's what that's what my notes were. I either had you as boy number two or boy with turkey, but I was right. You were boy with turkey. Boy with turkey. When Scrooge wakes up the morning after his experience with the ghosts, and he runs to the window and he says, "Hey, you boy, what day is it?" He has him go get a, a turkey for Bob Cratchit. So that that was me. And I was the ghost of Christmas present. And here we are, thirty-five years later, and some would argue that your role on the Listen Closely podcast is Boy With Turkey. So... <laughs> wow. You, no, that's... Uh, okay, now I, I see. I mean, you have been pretty adamant about keeping it Listen Closely with John and Chris. <laughs> but it was, it was quite a production. You know, the funny thing I remember is... Um, I, I remember a lot about that that particular Christmas play that we were in. I don't want to go into too much detail, but a couple of things I remember. One, we had three different classmates play Ebenezer Scrooge, That's which, right. I thought, which I thought was a little ridiculous. 
Two, I remember like a few weeks after uh, someone giving my parents a copy of the VHS cassette of the performance and thinking to myself, well, I don't know how the hell we're going to watch this <laughs> because we didn't have a VCR player and we wouldn't get one for like another year or so. And by the time we did, I was over it at that point. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I can tell you just from, from memory that even if you haven't seen it on, on VCR tape, that your performance was stirring and memorable. It really was. I mean, the ghost of Christmas present really is a pivotal role in a Christmas carol. It's a big role. I mean, I, you know, I really got, I really got shoved to the side with boy with Turkey. It's like one step above being like a, a tree. You had a, you had a pretty big role. Well, it was a very uh, important moment in my childhood, that's for sure. <laughs> but let's let's move on and let's talk about this week's very special episode of Listen Closely with John and Chris. Why don't you tell the the listening audience what we're going to do with this week's episode and how we're going to make it special for Christmas? So we are going to each count down our top five favorite Christmas songs. We have some stipulations. It's an incredibly broad category, as you, as I'm sure everyone knows. John, do you want to go over the stipulations? Uh, sure. And, and it, it's tricky. How do you begin to whittle down to just those five? Well, the criteria is as follows. It has to be a pop rock Christmas song that is completely original or a drastic reworking of an old Christmas carol. So something from uh, 19th century or early 20th century that had a real dramatic reworking. We want this to be somewhat contemporary. We're being a little loose with that, and uh, we want it to be from over the last 50 years. So, for example... Bing Crosby singing White Christmas, which uh, he was the first to record. It was written for him. Uh, it's, a, it's a Christmas classic. That song is disqualified because it's not from the last 50 years. Luciano Pavarotti singing his soaring rendition of Oh Holy Night is not allowed because, though he recorded it in the late 1970s, so that's within the window it's not completely original, nor is it a drastic reworking of a Christmas classic. Plus, it's not pop or rock. But say Chris chooses Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney, or Christmas Wrapping by The Waitresses, or even John Denver's Please Daddy Don't Get Drunk This Christmas, <laughs> then it's game on. Yeah, essentially, this is a podcast that's about contemporary rock and pop music, for the most part. Even though we've done nothing more recent than 2004. <laughs> yeah, it's, is that true? That is true, I guess. Yeah, the Killers episode, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we just we didn't want to have Perry Como and Tony Bennett doing a bunch of old standards, as great as those are. You know, I love a lot of those old ones, but we wanted something that kind of fits with the type of music that we examine on the show. But perhaps you want to talk about the challenge you faced in choosing just five and how you felt that uh, it was necessary to at least give a shout out to a couple of others that didn't quite make the cut. Oh my God, it's it's insane. I mean, you you think you have a a grasp on the major Christmas songs that are out there, the ones you hear on the radio every year. And then when you, 
when you really dive into it, I mean, everybody and their mother has a Christmas album. It's, it's, you know, or if not a Christmas album, they've done a Christmas single. And there are just so many songs that uh, I'm sure, you know, there's plenty that both of us haven't, haven't gotten to, but, you know, trying to whittle it down to five, we decided we're going to throw in a few honorable mentions each, you know, we'll talk about them, you know, not quite as much, but give them a little shout out just so that we can mention a few more songs because there's so damn many. This is like when you watch the Academy Awards and someone gets up there and says, in ceremonies held earlier this week, <laughs> the Academy Awards were given in the following categories. And it's always, you know, best original score to a live action short or something like that. Right, exactly. Yeah. So w- without further ado then, before we put the spaghetti in the machine and count down our top five each, do you want to talk about uh, one or two or more of, of those that didn't quite make the cut for whatever reason? Yeah, so I've got three of them here. And okay. these are not necessarily my, my numbers six through eight, you know, all-time Christmas songs. They're more, they're almost like sleepers, like we do on our normal episodes. You know, the songs that kind of, they're not quite as popular. They kind of fly under the radar. The, the first one, this may surprise you. This is by the Cocteau Twins, Frosty the Snowman. Really? The Cocteau Twins are a, a Scottish, uh, I've heard them described as dream pop. They're not twins, much like the Thompson Twins. There's three of them. And I got to tell you, Frosty the Snowman to me, I mean, it's a kid song, right? It's, it's, but it's a very sad one. Well, it is if done the right way. And this, their version of it is so wistful and haunting with this, the synthesizer in it is so 1980s. It's a very, it's just a very wistful kind of sad song. To me, this is, when they do it, it's less about these kids kind of frolicking and having fun with the snowman. This, their version is like what happens 30 years later when the kids are grown up and, you know, their lives are like kind of shitty and like nothing ever quite lived up to what they expected after the snowman came to life when they were eight years old. Uh, sure. They try to, you know, nobody even believes them when they tell them what happened. Um, they start, they're doubting themselves. Did this even happen? You know, and they're just kind of home alone on, on Christmas, uh, you know, about five beers in and just, this is the song that's playing when they're thinking back on that, that magical stretch when Frosty came to life. All right. So that's one of your three that didn't quite make the cut. Yeah. Interesting choice. Very interesting choice. What about you? You got an honorable mention for me? Well, you brought three to the table. I'll bring three to the table. Um, Sure. Uh, The first one of of my honorable mentions is a (laughs) Scottish glam rock band who never quite uh, came close to achieving the wild success they had overseas uh, here in the United States. And the band is Slade. And the song is Merry Christmas, everybody. And Slade was just this ruckus, wild group of uh, Scottish fellas in the 70s. And they, they were highly influential. They had a big influence on bands like Oasis. And um, their Christmas song from the mid-70s, Merry Christmas, everybody, is just this, this beer-drenched, drunken Scottish <laughs> pub Christmas sing-along and it's it's sloppy you can't quite understand the lyrics except for the refrain 
but it's a hell of a lot of fun and it's one that I've always truly enjoyed. I, I don't, I know Slade, but I don't, uh, I don't actually know that one. Well, maybe it's time you check it out. Uh, yeah, I think I should. What's your next honorable mention? The next honorable mention, 1988 from Chris Rhea, who uh, had success with Fool If You Think It's Over, a great- Is it Chris Rhea or is it Chris Ray? I think it's Rhea. Oh, all right, okay, I always thought it was Ray. Okay, but anyway. Well, uh, Driving Home for Christmas. Amazing song. I love this one. It's so good. It's one that I wasn't familiar with until just the last couple of years. Uh, it's, it's basically a Yacht Rock Christmas song. It is. Uh, it's, you know, got this really smooth, well-produced vibe to it, but, uh, you know, kind of soft rock, but with a nice peppy bounce to it. Um, he's got this great gravelly voice and the concept is great. You know, we've all been there, right? Like driving home for Christmas. Um, you know, he, he it's going to take some time, but I'll get there top to toe and tailbacks. Oh, I got red lights on the run, but soon there'll be a freeway. Yeah. Get my feet on holy ground. You know, it's just that, that great feeling of when the holidays come and you're, you're driving home for Christmas. It's a fantastic song. I've always loved that one. A highly underrated artist. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's got some great stuff. Um, how about you? What's next? So I went uh, to the mid-1980s with this, and uh, it's a band that's incredibly popular, and you've heard about a lot about the last couple of years. Uh, and it's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful Christmas song. It's uh, the band is Queen, and the song is "Thank God It's Christmas." Uh, it's touching, it's moving. Not surprising, Freddie's vocals are incredible. And as you and I have discussed over the years, Chris, the title of the song is so Queen. It's so melodramatic. <laughs> it's so "Thank God It's Christmas." It's it, you wouldn't expect that band that song from any other band, but it makes sense coming from Queen, and uh, it's. Slightly melancholy at times, but it, it leaves you with some hope at the end. And I, uh, I really do love this song. Didn't quite make the top five, but it's pretty damn close. That's a great one. And you're right. It's, it's so intense. Um, just like everything that Queen does. You know, Queen, Queen can't really do a uh, sort of sleeper song. They, it's just so over the top. And uh, it's great. It's great. I mean, that's, that's Christmas, right? It is. It's Christmas Done by Queen. Now, what's your third uh, not-quite-making-the-cut choice? My third's a, a little more modern. Um, a New York Christmas by Rob Thomas of Matchbox. Oh, interesting choice. I just really love this one, Matt. You, know, it's, you definitely hear it gets some radio play every year, um, but I, I think it's fantastic. There's, there's something about New York and Christmas you know, I think we both know this having grown up just outside the city. Um, but it, there really is a magic to it. And once people are able to go about their lives, again, if you haven't been to New York in the Christmas season, it's really amazing. With uh, There's just an energy to it. You know, all the stores. Maybe not this year. Well, that's what I'm saying, you know, when. Right, when yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a, it's a great song. It's got a real edge to it. 
Um, he does a great vocal. It's got some great, uh, some great lyrics. I mean, I'm sending you a Merry New York Christmas and a prayer for peace on earth within our time. And the sidewalk angels echo hallelujah. We understand them now more than ever. Merry New York Christmas. It's, uh, it's a really beautiful song. No, that really is a beautiful song. And it, it's probably the most contemporary one that's going to be on our list, uh, I would think, uh, because that one's probably within the last 10 years. Am I right? Uh, I believe, yeah, uh, right thereabouts, uh, about a decade ago. So there's something to be said for that. It is a great song. Uh, I, I think Rob Thomas is a terrific singer-songwriter. He's good. He has a lot of good stuff. You know, I, I feel like he uh, gets lumped in with a lot of other artists who aren't quite as good, but I, I like him. I would agree. What's your third and final honorable mention? So I, I have to tell you, this is one that I really wanted to put in my top five um, because I think it's everything uh, a great Christmas song should be, and that's catchy and fun and and upbeat and and really positive. It it didn't make the cut for the simple fact that, well, the man who wrote it and and recorded it is um, well, he's a convicted pedophile. Uh, so there's that. Uh, the song is Another Rock and Roll Christmas by Gary Glitter. And um, we don't really need to get into what Gary Glitter did to wind up in, in prison and, uh, for the second time. Uh, but let's just say it involved uh, girls in Vietnam. Um, and uh, anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. So... The thing is this, it is a great, great song. Do, do we pay homage to it because the guy who wrote it and sang it is a creep? I mean, I don't know. When we look at football, do we still consider OJ a great running back? Uh, I think we do. Sure. Um, although some would argue OJ didn't do it, but I don't want to get into that either. <laughs> uh, Gary Glitter, we know, did it uh, a few times. But it is, again, everything that a Christmas song should be. It's upbeat. It's, it's catchy. It's infectious. Uh, the lyrics are great. Although when you look at it now, uh, presents hung from the tree, you'll never guess what you got from me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Gary, I don't want to know what I got from you. <laughs> but um, great song from... Not such a great guy. Yeah, but, you know, like you said, uh, we're talking about the songs, and a lot of people still listening to Michael Jackson out there, so... Uh, this is true. This is, but see, Michael Jackson was never convicted. But again, we, we don't need to go there. Right, right. Well, all right. It's an interesting choice. <clears throat> Thank you, Chris. I knew you'd appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess now um, the guy was legitimately very entertaining. He had some great songs back in the day. Hey, they're not mutually exclusive, you know. They are not. All right, but let's let's get let's get away from Gary Glitter, far far away from Gary Glitter, and let's let's get to the top five. What you consider and what I consider to be our absolute greatest favorite Christmas songs of the last fifty years. Chris, why don't you start it off? What's your number five? 
Oh man, this was uh, again such a hard choice. But we are we're going to go back to 1977, and uh, this is one that it started on TV actually on the Bing Crosby holiday special. Oh, the Bing Crosby David Bowie collaboration, Peace on Earth, Little <laughs> Boy. Yes. Um, you know, this is kind of an iconic one. Um, it's as good for the song as it is for the video, um, <laughs> which is this amazing thing where David Bowie sort of shows up in Bing Crosby's neighborhood and uh, Bing welcomes men and they end up playing the piano and talking about their families. And um, it's very forced and weird, uh, but kind of amazing. And the song is just so good. I mean, the, you know, what, I, what I've read is that Bowie, when they were talking about doing this, Bowie hated Little Drummer Boy. So the producers, they, they wrote this other, you know, the, the other part of it that he sings, the Peace on Earth part. Um, and what resulted was just magic. Um, and didn't they write the, the Peace on Earth part which, let's face it, really is what makes the song so special, I think. Sure. Didn't they write that in a matter of an hour or so? Or it was written on the spot from what I, from what I heard somewhere. I think I've heard that too, that it was, like, it was extremely quick, yeah, um, just to kind of placate Bowie. Um, and, you know, I think it was at a point in Bowie's career when he was kind of trying to uh, show a little more mainstream uh, accessible side, um, you know, and it, it's, it's just very surreal to see David Bowie, you know, the star man in that sort of very, uh, classic Christmas situation, which I think makes it just all the more surreal and better, but musically it's just the harmony between those two, the contrast in their voices. It's, it's just perfect. It really is. It's the surreal nature of it, and, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's the harmony. It's the random nature of it. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was taped, as most Christmas specials are, maybe a month or two it act before it actually aired. And between the time that it was taped and between the original air date, Bing Crosby died. Yeah, he died shortly after. Yeah, I think it was like five weeks later. Um... So, you know, thank God they got this in there. Absolutely. It, there's something strangely moving about it, and I can never quite pinpoint what it is, but it's always from a very young age. I remember watching that video, and, you know, right off the bat, it seems strange because there's David yeah. Bowie and some old guy who looks like somebody's grandfather, um, and then you realize who it is, and... It's the most unlikely pairing imaginable, but it works so exceptionally well. Yeah, and I think like you said, the peace on earth part is really what does it. I mean, Little Drummer Boy with the ba-rum-ba-bum-bum stuff is, eh, it's kind of it's normally it's sort of like eh, whatever, but there's something in the interplay of that like, that kind of percussive beat and what Bowie does on the, the harmony that's, oh, it's just so, so damn good. 
and when their two voices come together, um, every child must be made aware. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. to me that's that's just that's Christmas magic right there. It's the best, um, or at least the fifth best. The fifth yeah. best. Yeah. What do you have for your fifth best? Well, listen, I'm just going to say, as you've said a couple times, this was a very difficult uh, thing to do to come up with five. And I tried to really think about the ones that I've listened to the most the last few years, uh, the ones that really excite me the most and sometimes move me the most. My number five, uh, it's, it's a bit of a novelty. And I don't want to say it's, it's obscure, but it's, it's a little obscure. We're going to 1983. And the song was credited to the three wise men, but that's actually a, a, a moniker or a, a fake name used by the band Ecstasy. And the song is Thanks for Christmas. Huh. Um, you don't hear it all that often, even yeah. during the Christmas season. And our friends at Spotify do not have it in their vast library. And I, I want to be sure to bring that up in case... Anyone from Spotify is listening. Um, But, you know, Ecstasy, a a great English uh, new wave outfit from the late 70s, early 80s, known these days largely for their song, Dear God. Um, They are somewhat of an obscure and even forgotten band. But this is unfortunate because this was one hell of a band. And Andy Partridge who wrote this song and the bulk of ecstasy's hits is a top notch songwriter and often drew comparisons in his heyday to Lennon McCartney with his songwriting style. Um, but supposedly Partridge suffers from crippling stage fright, which kept ecstasy from touring and thus limiting their commercial success. Now just a programming note here, ecstasy is spelled XTC. So if any of you out there are typing it into Spotify right now or doing YouTube search, it's XTC, not ecstasy, like what you took a bunch of uh, in your 20s. That's to our (laughs) listeners, Chris, not to you. Um, But this band has some great songs. and, And this Christmas song, it's upbeat, jangly, and it's an unashamed, uncomplicated four minute love letter. To the joys of Christmas. And I think you can hear that in the lyrics. Thanks for Christmas. Thank you for the love and happiness that's snowing down all around. Thanks for Christmas. Thank you for the winter friendliness that's snowing down all around the world. I, I love it. It's, it's one that I never tire of, perhaps because I never hear it as often as I hear some of these others, but it really is a beautiful song. It is. That's a great one. Yeah. It's got, it's just got such a great, uh, a great tempo and energy to it. Um, yeah, it's a real, it's a real kind of sleeper. Like I, you don't hear it a lot. Um, I haven't heard that in years. My God. Um, well, maybe it's time you check it out again. Just don't do it on Spotify. That's, that's right. That's right. Um, what did you go with for your number four? Number four. This is an iconic one. Um, it has been often imitated or covered but never to the, the level of the original. This is late 1984, the late great George Michael with Andrew Ridgely, Wham! doing Last Christmas. Interesting. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, this, I used to think that this was just kind of a sappy, uh, you know, soft rock Christmas song, but it's so much more. I mean, it, it has this great mix of sadness with the upbeat, you know, 1984 pop sound to it. Um, and there's some real pathos in it. If you really listen to the lyrics, um, and I, George Michael's vocal is, is tremendous in this. It really is. He, he really gets that mix of, of sadness um, and hopefulness. Um, you know, I think that everyone in the world has, has covered this, like especially every young female singer uh, from Taylor Swift to I think Ariana Grande and Ashley Tisdale. And quite honestly, none of them really do a whole lot with it to me because they turned it into um, more of this cheery poppy tune and they, they miss that undercurrent of, of sadness to it. Um, yeah. They make it a little schmaltzy, a little tacky. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but George Michael, he, I, he really nails it. This is one that has I've really come to love over the years. It, it's a beautiful song. It's all the more poignant when, you remember that George Michael passed away on Christmas day. Yeah. Um, what was it? Four years ago, I think. And, um, it, yeah, it really makes it that much more sad. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently it's a song he, he wrote when he and Ridgely were, uh, heading out to George Michael's parents house to visit one year. Um, and he uh, kind of unveiled it to Ridgely at the, the Michael Homestead. Um, it was a, a magical, magical moment when he first heard it. So it, um, it's a beautiful song and it's one that I never tire of at all. Yeah. What, what do you got for number four? Well, number four uh, and, and, you know, I typically like upbeat Christmas songs, um, but number four is probably one of the, the slower, somewhat sadder of my, uh, my picks. We're going back to 1975. Um, it, upon its release, was credited to Greg Lake, although in recent years has been credited to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. The mm. song is I Believe in Father Christmas. Oh, wow. That's a great one. It is a great one. Uh, that is my number four. This is an incredibly complex Christmas song and that it combines this beautiful Christmas like melody and a wonderful seasonal title, right? I believe in father Christmas. Um, but over the years, people have really discussed uh, what it's truly about. And the lyrics uh, on the surface can sometimes seem like a bit of an indictment of Christmas in the Christmas season. And, and some had gone as far as to call the song anti-Christmas. But um, in an interview that the late Greg Lake gave to Mojo Magazine several years ago, it's quite the opposite. Lake was all about Christmas and all about its, uh, its more spiritual origins, uh, but was against the over-commercialization of it. And, um, you know, what I find ironic, Chris, is that Greg Lake, Emerson Lake and Palmer, uh, they're synonymous with progressive rock, which is typically defined by these 
intricate musical arrangements, lengthy guitar solos, 17 and a half minute songs. But the, the beauty of I Believe in Father Christmas is its simplicity. It's this gorgeous acoustic guitar melody uh, over Lake's simple singing and his lyrics. And, you know, the song is 45 years old, but I think uh, it's more relevant this Christmas than ever before if you listen to the lyrics. I wish you a hopeful Christmas. I wish you a brave new year. All anguish, pain, and sadness. Leave your heart and let your road be clear. They said there'll be snow at Christmas. They said there'll be peace on earth. Hallelujah, Noel, be it heaven or hell. The Christmas we get, we deserve. Oof. Yeah, that's some heavy shit. (laughs) (laughs) That is heavy shit, especially for a Christmas song. Yeah. You know, that's another one. I mean, we talked about how just how many Christmas songs are out there, and I kind of forgot about that one. Um, I haven't heard that in in several years, and it is it's so well done. I think that's a, just a great a great example of you know how you how a great pop rock group can take Christmas you know Christmas songs, which are you know, I think a lot of people think of Christmas songs as just carols and maybe a little old and stodgy. Um, but that one, even though, like you said, it's 45 years old, it's, it's got this freshness to it that um, combines the, that sort of sentiment, you know, that Christmas sentiment that uh, really tugs at your heartstrings with pop rock music. That's just it. And, and you have these, these, these interesting lyrics because they really are. And then it's pop rock music, but with a Christmas sound to it. And uh, it, it all comes together beautifully. And it should be said, I think about oh, seven or eight years ago, you too did a pretty good cover of it. I don't know if you ever gave that a listen, but they do a nice job with it. No, not familiar. As it's a, worth- you're right, it's got, it sort of has like a Christmas bells kind of jangling in the back. Correct. It, right. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's outstanding. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. My fourth favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, moving along, what do you have for uh, number three? Well, I've got a song here that was it was written before our cutoff. Uh, it was written in 1963. It was actually originally when originally done. It was released on the day that JFK was shot. If you'll believe that. November 22nd. Uh, the original version is, is tremendous, but to me, this version, which came out in 1987, is even better. And you were providing a, an unintentional segue there. You two, Christmas baby, please come home. Oh, yeah. Um, this, I, I never realized this is written by Jeff Barry and Ellie, I don't know if it's Greenwich or Greenwich who were for a while married um, and they worked with the legendary producer, Phil Spector, who uh, is a bit of a shot, shot a woman. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) a very special, listen closely, special for you here. A very special Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean that Barry and, and Greenwich or Greenwich wrote be my baby do what diddy river deep mountain high. I mean, they're, they're like the Kings of, uh, of that era pop music. But I, I just think as, 
as amazing as Darlene Love, who does the original, uh, as amazing as she is, I think U2's version is even better. You know, this was in their rattle and hum days. Um, so they were sort of into that bluesy, soulful mode. And Bono's lyric is, a vocal, excuse me, is it's just incredible. I mean, the the pathos in it. And at the end, when he's just kind of bellowing that baby, please come home. It's, uh, it's so powerful. It gets me every year. It's incredibly powerful. The production's great. Bono's lead vocals. Great. And shout out to the edge for the backing vocals on that. I guess, I don't know if that's just the edge or if it's the edge and Larry Mullen jr, but they're the ones doing Christmas. Yeah. You know, the, the repetitive and it's just, it is, there's something almost harrowing about it. There is, yeah. I mean, I, I love upbeat Christmas songs. Don't get me wrong. But, <clears throat> I, you know, I think you'll find that most of the ones on my list here have this undercurrent of of sadness to them, too. <laughs> well, you are going to be by yourself this Christmas. Yes, so maybe that's what played into it. But, um, but yeah, this one is such a, a tour de force. Um, and you're, you're right, man. The Edge, the Edge and the... He often on YouTube songs, you know, he and Mullen with the backing vocals, it just adds such an incredible layer. It's beautiful. It, it is a great, incredible, incredible song. I didn't know. I, I knew that it was a cover. I didn't know that the original came out the day that uh, JFK was, was assassinated. Yeah. Who knew? I mean, it's a, you know, it's a real win-loss for America on that day. Um, <laughs> it 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 really was. Wow. Uh, what? <laughs> this has become a very dark Christmas episode, but... Uh, yeah, well, it's going to get darker, I see. <laughs> fantastic. What do you... Uh, so we're, we're down to your top three now. <clears throat> we uh, are. I, I feel like I know for sure at least one of your top three, but let's obviously... <laughs> let's go to you. You probably know two of them. Uh, but I, I will say that uh, we're, we're on this, uh, this, this sort of segue kick right now. And I think your uh, number three segues perfect to my number three. Um, I am going with, um, well, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Uh, From the queen of the soulful Christmas song, Miss Darlene Love. Mm. From the soundtrack to Home Alone 2 from 1992, the song is Alone on Christmas. Oh, great song. This, this nugget didn't get a whole lot of uh, airplay when it was released, uh, but I was a fan of it from the time I first saw the video. And uh, ironically, I was never much of a fan of the Home Alone films, which is strange. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't see Home Alone 2 until maybe 10 years ago. Th- those films always gave me anxiety. They really did. Like, <laughs> Wait, you know, if you saw Home Alone for the first time, what were you doing at the age of thirty-three watching Home Alone two? Well, we'll we'll get to that in another episode, but <laughs> but uh, but um, no. Listen, the the films gave me a lot of anxiety. I mean, the whole like, especially part two, being lost in New York, and he's like ten. <laughs> and this isn't like the New York that we saw when Bloomberg was mayor either. This was like the David Dinkins era. This was well, like, this is before they shipped the homeless people out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, this was when like 
42nd Street was something you want to see when you're like 18, uh, <laughs> you know, with like a shit ton of peep shows. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, you're not kidding. This, we would go into, for the holidays, we would go into New York. You know, we'd dr- drive in an hour and whatever, see the Rockettes or whatever. I mean, we'd, we'd get in the city. I can remember my parents being like, roll up the windows, lock the doors. <laughs> well, I mean, listen. Rough and tumble back then. If you like that sort of New York, I have good news for you. I suspect that by next Christmas, it'll be like that again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but let me say this much. Uh, this song has always been in heavy rotation for me during Christmas season. It's this beautiful, upbeat, intense, soulful Christmas song written by the legendary Stephen Van Zandt of the E Street Band. It features the E Street Band, who were all looking for something to do in the early 1990s because Bruce had fired them. And I think musically, this is as catchy as anything Bruce did in the last 25 to 30 years. And the production is exceptional. It has, and here we go again with this guy, it has a Phil Spector-esque wall of sound. It's classic Christmas. Darlene Love, and I... I always got a kick out of the video. Do you remember the video, Chris? I do, yeah, yeah. With Mac and Macaulay Culkin at the soundboard pretending to produce the album. And yeah. I just love how everyone in the video looks so festive and happy, particularly the E Street Band, probably because they finally had some work for the first time <laughs> since the Born in the USA tour. <laughs> But, like, hell, even Gary Talent or Talant, the, the bass player, who's normally, like, so deadpan and miserable looking, he's <laughs> smiling and wearing a Santa hat in the video. <laughs> if I had one complaint about this otherwise perfect contemporary Christmas song, <clears throat> it would be that the lyrics veer off ever so slightly in the second verse. Uh, you know, the, the song conjures up all this classic Christmas imagery, uh, sleigh riding in the snow, bells ringing, visions of sugar plums, whatever the hell those are, uh, <laughs> Christmas shopping. But then at the tail end of the second verse, they hit you with, today's celebration is bittersweet. There's mothers and children in the street. And... <laughs> It's like, okay, I know this, and it's a terrible thing for people to be homeless at any time of the year, especially in the winter, but that lyric kind of, it, it never quite sat right with me. I always felt like it came out of nowhere. See, I disagree, and this is probably a good time to tell you that we are rolling on the segues today because this is my number two, number two on really? my Really? Yeah, yeah. I love that part. I mean, this... This again, you know, not to be all Debbie Christmas downer here, but uh, this song, you know, it's got that, like you said, that, that jangly wall of sound. Um, but man, there's an undercurrent of such sadness here. And I, I kind of love that, that today's celebration is bittersweet. There's mothers and children in the street. I mean, I, I agree. It's a little, it's a little like Queen-esque in <laughs> the way that it just hits you over the head with that. But uh, I kind of dig it. Um, it's listen. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal song. I love this song. Uh, you know this. This is yeah. a classic, and it's my number three. But I'm not going to lie. That lyric ultimately affected the song's placement on my list. It could have been higher were it not for that lyric. Wow. 
Then wow. again, I almost had my number five be a song by a man who used to travel to Vietnam <laughs> to have sex with underage girls. So maybe I'm not the best at, at choosing these. I, I don't know. Well, you know, we've all got our opinions. Um, I think we can both agree that Darlene Love in this is just insane. Like her, her vocal is phenomenal. Incredible. Incredible. But you, you know the reasons why this was my, my number three. Why is this your number two? I think her vocal is just amazing. Some of the sounds that she makes with her voice are phenomenal. Um, and just the lyrics. I mean, I love things are different since you've been here last. Childhood dreaming is a thing of the past. Maybe you can bring us some hope this year. Visions of sugar plums have disappeared. It's sort of like whoever they're, they're talking about, you know, went away and has now come back for Christmas. And like, what the hell happened? Like some shit has gone down. Clearly. <laughs> All this from the guy that played Silvio Dante on The Sopranos. You know, I didn't realize until I was researching this song that he wrote it. I, that's amazing. Um, I knew Clemens in the E Street were, were, you know, Clemens has this great, this great sax solo in it. Um, but I just love it. I mean, I, it has such, uh, such heart and pathos, and Darlene Love is, she's fantastic. Um, she's she's enough the of queen of the Christmas song, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She even references Baby Please Come Home in this. Do you remember sleigh riding in the snow and dancing all night to Baby Please Come Home? That's uh, right. Which is her, her song, which is kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, in, in researching, I, I was reading up on a lot of the lyrics, or I was reading the lyrics to the song. There's a lot of the lyrics that I never really picked up on um, before. But really, lyrically, it is a great song. It's just that one moment that, for me, uh, I it veers it's off. It's a bit much, yeah. It's a um, bit much. Well, so if this was your number three and my number two, now what, what's your number two? Oh, boy. So, number two, we're going back to the 1980s. In fact, we're going to 1983. Uh, the song is 2,000 Miles by The Pretenders. Oof. Yeah. This song is, to me, a modern Christmas classic, but with a twist. When I had first started writing notes for this episode, I initially had written that The Pretenders were probably the most unlikely band to release a Christmas carol in 1983 they had very little to celebrate uh they lost two of their four original members to drugs in a span of 10 months um guitarist james honeyman scott died of a heroin overdose in june of 82 and uh bass player pete farndon died of uh cocaine induced heart attack in april of 1983 so Knowing this, you would not expect a Christmas carol to come from Chrissy Hind and what was left of the Pretenders, um, what was right. it, you know, six months or so later. Right. Um, but that's what makes the, the backstory of the song that much more interesting. Um, it's, if you listen to the lyrics, it's on the surface, a song about two lovers who can't be with one another but hope to reunite at uh, Christmas. Full disclosure, I always thought the song was about Santa Claus. <laughs> it, it's it's I always had that theory that it was sung from Mrs. Claus's perspective. 
right. I thought it was something like that. Yeah. It's not. Uh, this yeah. is the biggest revelation of Christmas 2020 for me. The song is actually about James Honeyman Scott and was a tribute to him. Um, and Honeyman Scott, again, was the original guitarist who died of a heroin overdose uh, a year or so prior. And the line that is repeated often in the song, he'll be back at Christmas time, is really just sort of an empty hope that this man will return at some point, somehow, some way. Um, so kudos to Chrissy Hind, who penned a beautiful tribute to her friend and fallen bandmate and brilliantly disguised it as a Christmas song. Um, and in one of my all time favorites at that. Now, ironically, Chrissy Hind has gone on record as saying that she thinks the lyrics to this song are stupid. But in the 1989 book, The Heart of Rock and Soul, the 1001 greatest singles ever made, 2000 Miles was ranked number 630. Um, that's pretty impressive for a Christmas song to be even on that list. Sure. Um, and while this is by no means a Christmas song in the traditional sense, I think it's, I think it's an amazing one. And it's one that's certainly a bit melancholy, but with glimmers of hope and really a beautiful, beautiful arrangement and just a killer melody. It's so good. It's such a beautiful song. This for me was, it was the hardest one to leave off the top five. Um, it's, it's so beautiful. I didn't realize either until I was looking into it this last week that, that it was about uh, their guitarist, uh, which just adds another, another layer to it. Like you said, it's that, uh, what did you call it? A, a, a hope that will never come to be, you know? Um, exactly. It's so beautiful. The way it sort of fades in, you know, just sort of eases in at the beginning. And um, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous song. Frankly, I'm surprised it's not on your list. Or maybe it is. I mean, I don't know. We haven't gotten a number one, but I would be surprised if this were your number one. It's not. It's not. But, I mean, there's just so many. Like we talked about, there's so many amazing Christmas songs. And I guess the one thing that kind of made me feel a little more likely to leave it off was just that I don't consider it as much of a straight-up Christmas song. Um, as some of the other ones where the, I mean, the, a lot of the other ones are just very overtly about Christmas and this one, it's a little more subtle, which I think is, is part of what makes this an amazing song that kind of transcends the Christmas holiday, you know? Uh, I often wondered why she chose 2000 miles as the, the distance. I mean, as you know, is, yeah, is he in Reno or is it, where is he? You know? <laughs> Well, it is very far. Um, it is very far. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful song, though. So, wow. All right. Yeah. It's not your number one. Now you've got me scratching my head here going, well, what the hell did you go with as your number one? You don't have any ideas? I, I thought maybe you'd know. I, I do, but I, I'd rather just hear it from you. Yeah, till, till I hear it like the gin blossoms. That's right. Yeah, my number one, this for me... 2,000 miles aside, because I almost don't, uh, you know, that to me is almost less of a Christmas song. This is the one overtly Christmas song that I will listen to outside of the Thanksgiving to Christmas window. I'm pretty staunch in not overdoing 
the Christmas listening because I don't want to ruin it. So I, I really will not put Christmas songs on until after Thanksgiving. This one I'll put on in July because it's just so damn good. Uh, we go back to 2008. It's a song by The Killers with a couple of very it. special guest stars, Elton John and Neil Tennant of Pet Shop Boys. Uh, the song is Joseph Better You Than Me. And you will listen to this in July. I honestly will. It's that good. I, it I, is I did, that good. I did this year. I mean, the three of those voices are, you know, I think, I think uh, Brandon Flowers of the Killers, you know, the Killers are are very highly recognized band, but I think Flowers sometimes uh, people overlook just how great his voice is. He has this very distinct uh, voice that has this real vulnerability to it. And then Elton John, of course, I mean, his voice is just like a, like a warm blanket. Um, and Neil Tennant of Pet Shop Boys, I mean, has one of the most distinctive pop voices ever. And to get them all in this one song, uh, a song that is so beautifully written, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a Christmas song about Joseph, the father of, the adoptive father of, of Christ. Um, and, you know, whatever you think of Christmas, the Bible, whether you believe in that or not, it has some amazing stories, right? And, you know, this one just digs right into the character of Joseph, which is an incredible character. Um, and right from the beginning, well, your eyes just haven't been the same, Joseph. Are you bad at dealing with the fame, Joseph? There's a pale moonshine above you. Do you see both sides? Do they shove you around? Um, it is haunting. It's beautiful. Flowers has this whole falsetto thing going on. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous song. I love this song. Uh, particularly, I mean, when we talk about contemporary, this is one of the most contemporary on the list. Uh, and I think as incredible as Flowers is, I really think it's Elton John who, yeah. for me, steals the show. Yep. Um, about halfway through, because the song kind of slowly trudges along, and then Elton takes it over with the line, um, and the desert is a hell of a place to find heaven. Oh, that's the best uh, part, yeah. It's the best part. And from that moment on, he just takes the song up into the stratosphere. It just goes into this this whole other world, and it's it's incredible. And if I'm not mistaken... Did Elton co-write the song with Brandon Flowers? Uh, supposedly the three of them wrote it together with Tennant. They did, so Tennant was involved as well. Interesting. That's, yeah, they're all, all of them are credited. Um, you know, I, from what I understand, I, from an interview I heard with Brandon Flowers, he kind of said that he, he had the song and he brought it to Elton and then they kind of started working on it together and then I guess maybe Tennant came on after that. But... Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think what's great is that, you know, Brandon Flowers, you know, he, he knows what the, what the score is here. And about, you know, a third of the way into the song, he just kind of backs off and he's doing backing vocals and he just lets first Tennant and then Elton take over. And my God, that last, that last verse, the desert, it's a hell of a place to find heaven. 40 years lost in the wilderness looking for God, and you climb to the top of the mountain looking down on the city where you were born. It's, 
it's so powerful and the the music is crescendoing at that point i love it too i'm surprised though number one really yeah it wasn't much of a you know when we decided to do this episode i i thought about it for about 10 minutes and i i knew this was my number one yeah wow wow can listen to the song endlessly the video is the video is bizarre it is very bizarre like most killers video uh it's sort of a a collage uh, of a video where it goes back and forth between these time-lapse shots of candles burning and like Christmas decorations and then it cuts it in with I don't know what the movie is if it's the greatest story ever told or it looks like some B Christmas a Christmas B movie from like the 1940s or 50s yeah yeah but when you see it, it it's it's oddly powerful the video it is it is it really is uh, but yeah, to me, it just, uh, it's just so damn good. And the killers, you know, I didn't really realize, but I guess basically every year almost they put out a Christmas song. And a song correct. Some, you know, some of them are, are quite good. A lot of them though are a little more, uh, a little more on the fun side. You know, there's a recurring theme, at least they're correct. To be going through it of a crazed Santa who's trying to kill Brandon flowers in the, in the songs and the videos and, uh, but this one, they got serious, and uh, they hit it out of the park. They really did. It's incredible. Now, what? I, I think I know where you went with number one. <laughs> I'd be shocked if it's not, but you tell me. What's your number one Christmas song of all time? Well, look, you know, here's the thing. There are a lot of beautiful, melodic Christmas songs out there, but I find so many of the great ones, so many of the ones that get played on the radio a lot, or a lot of the ones we've spoken of, just to be a little sluggish, a little mopey, uh, a little, mm-hmm. as, as we say in Italian, mushad, you know, like a little, just a little slow, a little off. Yeah. Uh, I thought of one that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have given this a close listen, but over the last five years or so, this one has grown on me, and yes, it is now my favorite contemporary Christmas song, and man, is it an upbeat, danceable one. We're going back to 1978. Uh, the band is Boney M. Yes. The song is Mary's Boy Child, Oh My Lord. It's a bit of a medley. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> you did, didn't you? <laughs> oh, man. Listen, I... I I know I thought you might have been a little surprised, but okay. Um, I didn't think you'd have it number one, but I, I was pretty sure you'd have it in your top five. Well, look, the song gets you moving. It gets yeah. you singing along. It's and uh, it's a great song. I love it. I, I can't get enough of it. Now, the first half of the song, it's a pretty straightforward rendering of the Christmas classic Mary's Boy Child, made famous in the 1950s by Harry Belafonte. So you think, all right, that should disqualify it. Eh, maybe, maybe not. Boney M adds a little pep to it. But it's the second half of the song when they kick in with the, Oh, my Lord, you said your son to save us. That really takes it in another direction entirely. It's this trippy disco gospel thing with a repetitive, almost hypnotic chant of the, the line, Oh, my Lord, you sent your son to save us. It's unlike any Christmas song I can think of, uh, it's perfection. And, and here's the thing, Chris, 
in this country, Boney M are sort of a novelty at best, right? Um, but in the rest of the world, their music, and in particular their Christmas album, is held in high regard. Uh, talk to people from outside of the United States about Boney M or the Boney M Christmas album, and they'll, like, they're down with it. I, I knew a girl a couple of years ago that I was hanging around with from Canada, uh, and she had this unhealthy Christmas obsession for someone who was in their mid thirties. And, and <laughs> she asked me once what my favorite Christmas carol was. And when I told her it was this one, her face lit up like a Christmas tree. And I was like, you know, that song, you know, Boney M because you know, not everybody does. Right. And, and she was like, yeah, Boney M that, that's a thing in Saskatchewan. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm you didn't marry her on the spot. Ah uh, well, listen. <laughs> but but no, they're they're, they're one of the. Boniem, were they from the Caribbean? Where were they from? You know, they were. I don't know. They, some of them were from the West Indies, but they were based out of Germany. I mean, okay. they were the the quintessential example of um, the Euro disco movement of the late seventies and early eighties. And you know, their non Christmas stuff you never hear on the radio. But if you were in say. Austria or Germany or Hungary or Poland um, in 79 or 80, you're likely to hear songs like Rasputin, Daddy Cool, Rivers of Babylon. Um, what they gave us with, with this song, I consider to be absolutely perfect, fun, joyous, a celebratory Christmas song, and one that I can dance to even though I, I can't dance. Um, and, and if you really, really want to appreciate the song, check out the music video. I don't know. Maybe Chris, you can get this up on the, the Twitter page. It's, um, yeah. well, this is what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. The, 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 the late seventies Euro disco absurdity, right? Uh, I, I think why I, I believe there, why are there <laughs> shots of the Kremlin in that video? That's what I can't figure out. Bone, the four members of Boney M are dressed in winter white. You know, they've got these like white fur coats on, uh, and it's a real bad grainy quality video. <laughs> and, and the first time I'm watching the video, I'm like, oh, it's a beautiful old building they're dancing in front of. How, how European of them. And then I look closer and I'm like, is that, is that the Kremlin? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, nobody could get into the Soviet Union in the late 1970s, in or out. I, I don't know how they did. <laughs> did they use a green screen? I mean, uh, Maybe they did. I, I feel like the technology wasn't that advanced at that point, but it's very bizarre, yeah. But why the Kremlin? I mean, why not, you know, Leaning Tower of Pisa, the Champs-Élysées, Brandenburg Gate? I mean, why? And you said they have a song called Rasputin, too? Yes, it, it's, that was their biggest hit. Was they, they the, big, the biggest non-Christmas hit was Rasputin. That and Daddy Cool. They have some Russian connection. It's it's really weird. Well, they were very global. They also had yeah. a hit in 1986 with a remake of uh, 10CC's Dreadlock Holiday, which you know I'm a, a big fan of. Oh, that's a great, yeah, yeah, that's a great song. So Boney M, don't, don't slag them off. I mean, they were the real oh, deal, they, and... Yeah. This is my favorite Christmas song. There you go. Okay. No, that's, it's a great one. Uh, and you're right. It's so fun. It's, it's got such a, 
such a great beat to it. Um, do, do you know where Boney M comes from, the name? Like, what is that even? Uh, I have no clue. And you know what? Maybe it was like a code name for a Russian operative. <laughs> a Soviet operative. I mean, who knows? It might be. It might be. Wow. Well, it's a, it's a great song. And uh, man, what a, what a great assortment of, of songs we've We've got, I'll, I'll get all these up on either Spotify or Twitter for the ones that aren't available. We might have to have a separate, like, uh, listen closely official Christmas playlist as to not muddy the waters because, you know, that's true. If people yeah, are going yeah. to listen to this in May. They might not want to hear Last Christmas or the Gary Glitter song. You may never want to hear a Gary Glitter song, and I understand that. <laughs> right, right. Oh, uh, okay. Any, um, I mean, it's hard with Christmas because we all have so many Christmas memories, but any special memories associated with these songs or pop culture references that uh, you feel like sharing in our remaining moments of our uh, Christmas special? I can just remember there was a time when it was really hard to get these songs. Um, I can remember, you know, like with, with Bowie and Crosby doing Little Drummer Boy, uh, my mom is a huge fan of that song. And, you know, if you were going to get it, I, you know, I think initially it came out, there were some bootlegs of it, and then it was released as a single in 1982. Um, but it, it just wasn't the kind of thing that was stocked everywhere, you know, like at the local Sam Goody. I mean, you, there might have been like some compilations on it, but if your record store didn't carry that, it, I just remember my dad trying to find that song for my mom one Christmas for maybe like a couple Christmases in a row. Um, and I, he ended up having to go to at the Trumbull mall in Connecticut. There was this place you could go that would basically make you mix tapes. Like they I remember this. Yes. I guess they paid to get the rights to the songs and they would make you customize mixtapes, which, you know, if you're under the age of 30, that probably sounds insane right now. But you have to remember, back in the day, I mean, you just kind of had to get lucky and get get one of these songs, you know, timed right so it was on the radio if you wanted to to tape it. Um, so it was a really special thing to hear some of these. Um, and, you know, now it, it's so easy. But back then, they were just these incredible treats when you'd get the really good ones. That's incredible. I, I remember that store. I haven't thought of that store in quite a while, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I, assume that, I assume they're out of business now. <laughs> that would be something if they're still hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, what about you? What, what comes to mind? I mean, there's so many. Where do you begin? And, and I ultimately went with uh, Last Christmas, um, not the wham song but uh christmas 2019 uh we always do christmas at my mom and dad's and uh that you know wraps up probably around six or seven and uh, i never want to just go home after that so i always make it a point to go out and have a couple drinks somewhere uh just to you know wind down and um there's a asian fusion restaurant uh not too far from where i live Sure. Um, that I, I frequent, um, you know, the place, sweet basil. Mm -hmm. Um, and last Christmas after I left my parents, I went there and they were doing Christmas karaoke. Ooh. And, um, I, uh, you know, I had maybe had a couple of 
cocktails at my parents' house and then a couple at uh, Sweet Basil. And um, I got up and I sang, uh, I Believe in Father Christmas by uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And the first time I ever really knew what those lyrics were and realized just how kind of dark and, and maybe a little pensive it was. And uh, I, I ran into this, uh, this blonde woman that I, I knew um, at Sweet Basil and uh, she, was ha- she was having a rough Christmas. She was going through divorce. Um, so after the bar closed, I said to her, I go, uh, have you ever listened to the Boney M Christmas album? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and she goes, the what? And I go, come on over. And uh, we had some wine and, and we played the Boney M Christmas album in its entirety uh, at some ungodly hour. My neighbors probably didn't appreciate that, particularly the one that lives right next door because she's a Jehovah's Witness. But, um, <laughs> but it, was, uh, it was fun. It was nice. Wow. Yeah. I have a lot of questions, but uh, I guess we'll save that for later. <laughs> save that for next Christmas. We're almost out of time. Uh, any final thoughts, Chris, on, on these Christmas songs, on Christmas songs in general, on Christmas in general? Yeah. No, just everyone have a, you know, have a wonderful Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate and, you know, listen to, we'll put these songs up, give them a listen. If you, you know, some of the more obscure ones, if you're not familiar, do check them out. Uh, You know, if you want to tweet us angrily uh, with songs that we missed, songs that we forgot, uh, go for it. Go for it. Closely. Please do. And we will be back for one more episode before the end of 2020. Uh, That will not be the end of season two of Listen Closely. Uh, So we will be back for one more episode and then we'll be back for a handful of episodes in January before taking a much needed hiatus. Um, So please stay tuned. We will be back and We wish to all of you a very Merry Christmas. Chris, Merry Christmas out there on the West Coast by yourself. At least you're surrounded by evergreen Christmas trees everywhere. That's true. And Merry Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Thank you. Be well. Bye-bye. Godspeed. Listen closely with John and Chris is executive produced by John DiBenedictis, written by Chris Charmiello and John DiBenedictis, sound engineering and editing, Chris Charmiello, technical consultant, Ivo Kulishko, management, Kyle A. Mulvey and Associates, hair and makeup, Salon Destronzo. Listen Closely with John and Chris is produced using the Anchor podcasting platform.